Bucks Nation. What's going on? Welcome back into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. Buffs, back in the win column. Let's go. 37-34. See you getting the win at home over Oregon State. I mean, look, some were shocked, some not. It was it was a good game. See you played very well. On today's show, we'll talk about that game. What did it take to beat Oregon State? Are the Buffs going in the right direction? And, of course, we'll preview next week's game as CU heads to L.A., sunny Southern uh, California, take on the UCLA Bruins. I'm Tyler Walgy. He's Jared All, my partner in crime. Jared, how are you? I'm feeling great. I mean, how about them Buffs, huh? I mean, you don't, I don't even realize how much it ruins your week when a, the Buffs lose until they win. And, like, I just the, – the energy I came into my week with this week is so different than the last few weeks have been. Well, I saw you on – was it Sunday? Sunday, Sunday? Sunday morning. Jared and I, we decided to do something that we don't often do. We exercised. We got yeah, active. We were active. <laughs> we went and played some tennis. Usually we're just sitting down here recording podcasts. Exactly. And uh, it was fun. Now, I got to say, getting out there, I was a little sore a few days after I was. But uh, – yeah. When we, when we first met up, it was just all we could talk about was CU, how excited we were. Because not many times this season do or have we had a lot of opportunities to get excited about the Buffs. Even and, in wins, it's it's not necessarily been the prettiest looking that's thing. That's exactly right. I mean, three wins on the year, and you know, so far all the, the wins we've seen have come with these huge, yeah, what ifs. I'm not ready to really do that for this game. Now... Oregon State isn't Oregon. Sure, okay. and, and it wasn't a perfect game from the Buffs. I mean, there were certainly things I saw out there that I didn't love, but it's the first game I thoroughly enjoyed watching this year, and first time I felt like the Buffs played a good game and went out and won a game. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, we'll go through some stats and everything like that, but, I mean, general takeaway from the coaching staff, from the approach, things seem to have changed a little bit since the firing of uh, offensive line coach Mitch Rodriguez. Uh, do you think that has a lot to do with this? Is it? Is it coincidence or is it just the timing I mean, of when I, things I happen or is it all offensive I, I do think there is a certain level of that that is factoring into it especially you know if you believe some of the things that you've heard out of even Carl Durrell has made comments and statements about how much more these guys seem to be learning and picking up since that change so I think that certainly has contributed to this but I also think to an extent this coaching staff feels their backs against the wall and realize they needed to self-evaluate and you know make some adjustments and some changes into how they were approaching these games. Well, approaching the games, it, they came out to a, a quick start. I mean, CU jumped on Oregon State, and I think that was a huge part of it. It got me going as a fan. I think it got a lot of us going, and it got the team going. So I, that was really important to come out and really make that statement from the get-go. So that was awesome to see. Uh, Brendan Lewis, 15-24, of 24, 170 in the air, three touchdowns, no picks. Still not stats that really... You know, we're not going to be looking at player of the week type stats or anything like that, but this is better. All I'm asking for, and all I've been saying the last couple of weeks, is I'm looking for improvement. I'm looking to see on a week-to-week basis these players are getting better. These players are taking the next step. And, and so far, that has not been the case. I mean, by any means. But I think Brennan Lewis is a, a huge example as to a player getting better week by week. He looked good this week. Yeah. And separating that from the first half of the season, where he was afraid to throw the football, seemingly he looks good now. And you just said something there. I think that is that needs to be you know 
pointed out is he was afraid earlier in the season. I think that was the first time you saw Brendan Lewis playing with a little bit of confidence. And some of those throws that he made in there, I'm thinking that the touchdown pass to Montana Lamonius Craig, that was, I mean, that's a throw he doesn't make early in the season. And so I think, again, it's the first time you probably saw him actually make a definitive jump forward. And it's encouraging to see that. And, and I hope that we can see that continue through the rest of the season. What about Brendan Lewis rushing the football? I mean, do we need more of that? Should that be more in the... I've been been calling for it all year. I, I think it, it's something that will will increase that confidence that he has, and I think it's something that can add another you know level to make this offense more dynamic when a defense really has to worry about him getting on the edge. And I think he has the ability to do that. Mm. Um, now I get with with the Buffs not wanting to get him hurt to an extent, but I think you got to open things up and let the kid play. Uh, running the football, the team Colorado as a team. Uh, 44 carries, 222 yards, one touchdown. That's what we're looking for. I mean, that's finally the stats we were talking about putting up. And last week when we were talking about keys to the game, what we need to see from this offense, running the football and being effective doing so is so important. Averaging five yards a carry. And Jared Broussard did the majority of it. 20. Finally saw yeah. him break out. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is what they were waiting for. Do you think there was maybe any injury stuff he was dealing with earlier in the year? It's, you know, it's, it's possible. He, he certainly did not seem to have that kind of breakaway, you know, juice that we saw last year early in the season. I do think a lot of it is just being bottled up, and and they really he just had not had a chance to get any space. When you're getting hit in the backfield, it's it's hard to get anything going. So, you know, again, credit to this coaching staff, credit to the changes they've made with the offensive line staff. It seemed to have made a big difference now let's again kind of bring up you know i don't want to take away anything from this win but oregon state is not oregon and they ended up actually firing their defensive coordinator after this game oh really um so there's obviously some things going on there and and that's a defense that is 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 probably not the best defense the buffs are going to face this year definitely not the best defense but regardless when you're looking across the board at the stats in, in the Pac-12 and, and the buffs are at the bottom in nearly every category, it's great to see something you can hang your hat on, something we believed was going to be a strength of this offense going into the year, the running game, get going finally. Did it surprise you Deion Smith was the second uh, leading rusher? A bit, yeah, and he seems to be a, a guy that's getting more and more of a look throughout the season. But I don't understand why Alex Fondo is being weeded out. I mean, Fondo for a long time was that guy. And, and you uh, know, watching that game, you, know, you look at his stat line too, I mean, he didn't have a lot of production. Now, only five carries, uh, but you know, there was his long on the day was six yards and, and wasn't really breaking it. Now, I agree with you. I, I think that Fontenot should continue to get the, the number two carries. But, uh, you know, Deion Smith's been solid so far for the Buffs this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, other stats on the ground. Um, let's see here. Uh, Deion Smith, seven for 25. Fontenot, five for 18, like we said. Brendan Rice did have two carries, uh, 13 yards, and then Matt Lynch, one for three. And that was on a great creative play call for the Buffs. I think it was either third and short or fourth and short had Matt Lynch, who's a former quarterback. Uh, you know, Brendan Lewis that steps away. Play. Lynch comes in. I think yeah. you, that, that's the kind of creativity you want to see from this coaching staff when when you need a big play. You need that short yardage distance. And that's what we've been calling for. It's just like... That's what you want to see from the coaching set. No, it doesn't have to be so obvious where anyone sure. watching goes, oh, look at how crazy that was. But these little wrinkles here or there, that's what we're looking for. In the air, it's the same story that it has been all season, at least for the receivers. 
there's not one receiver who really stands out amongst everyone. Now, I know Brendan Rice has been talked about as the one who's emerging, but week by week, in terms of the box score, that's not the case. This week, 15 completions, no one had more than three. Chase Penry had three. A lot of other guys with one or two catches. Uh, uh, Daniel Arias had a touchdown. Lamonius Craig had a touchdown. And Brendan Rice did, did have a touchdown for his only catch. So that's what you like to see. Uh, Brendan Lewis spreading the football out. A lot of reliable receivers. And it's a, it's a double-edged sword because... You want your quarterback to feel free. You don't want your quarterback to feel like any receiver deserves the touches, deserves the targets. I mean, look what happened with Baker Mayfield in the NFL. You know, they get rid of Odell Beckham and suddenly things open up. That that happens a lot in football. Quarterbacks feel pressured. And I just wonder what the future of Brendan Rice is going to look like. You know, um, we've speculated on that before on this show. Does the transfer window come into play? I mean, does CU turn it on at the end of the year and suddenly it's more appealing? I don't know. It's all speculation because we don't know what Jerry Rice is thinking, what he's talking about, what their motives are, what's, you know, any of that stuff. But uh, it is something to think about, something to talk about. But I love how that's not the case. I love how it's not just feeding the ball to Brendan Rice, even though he could probably handle that. They're not doing that. And Brendan Lewis feels comfortable throwing it to whoever's open or who the play's designed for. But uh, 15 catches, 170. 11 and a half yards per catch. That's great for these uh, receivers and for Brendan. And I think the guy I want to highlight here is Chase Penry. Is a guy that really hasn't had a ton of snaps this year and really came out there as a true freshman, a guy that was behind a lot of guys on the depth chart to start the year. So I like to see him getting a chance out there, and he he's performing well. And he kind of reminds you of some of those slot receivers that they've had over the last few years, the yeah. last decade or so. Uh, defensive side of the football. What did you think of the linebacking core? Filling uh, in. I honestly in felt like it was a much improved performance compared to what we saw against Oregon. I, I really feel like uh, Quinn Perry had a good game. I mean, he led the the team in, in total tackles and solo tackles. I thought he was a, a much more comfortable presence out there. Um, and overall, honestly, I don't have a lot of complaints from the linebacking core. I mean, they 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 really held. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, while okay, so Oregon State did get 220 yards rushing. Um, honestly, it wasn't something that really was killing the bus throughout the game. I, that honestly, that stat surprises me in the yardage there because I thought they did pretty well against the the Beavers. Yeah, I mean, they let a couple chunk plays up there for 31, 22 yards on the ground, but overall, they did what they needed to do, containing them and kind of keeping the Beavers at bay. Uh, only one sack on the game. Carson Wells did have the one sack. Four tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, from four different players, but overall, Jared, like you said, just a, just a good defensive showing, and it's it's really positive to see. No one on this team has quit, you know, defensively, offensively. They're still going out there playing and fighting every single game. So Quinn Perry leading the team in tackles. Behind him, Robert Barnes had seven. Carson Wells with uh, seven. Isaiah Lewis with five. Anything to add before we move on from this game? Well, from the stats, at least, the stat sheet. Uh, anything that uh no i think i think we kind of pointed out everyone that really you know stood out and yeah it kind of made an impact um so uh like i said cu took a 10 nothing lead from the first quarter to the second and then went into halftime up 13 10 uh it was close the end of the game actually cu ended up having to battle back and get that uh, game tying field goal uh or excuse me uh it was a touchdown to take the lead back and then oregon state Gets a 26-yard return, and they have the ball on about, I think it was around there, right around midfield. And Oregon State decides to run a quick out route 
for about 9, 10 yards, move the ball up, and give their kicker a 60-yard field goal. Well, look, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to harp on any negatives, but there were some some rumblings about could CU have done anything different at the end of the game. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time ripping this coaching staff or melt or uh, oh my god, I almost went there. Oh, <laughs> oh, Speaking of which, do you see who lost this weekend? <laughs> I did. Hi oh, fantastic! Yeah, Michigan State going down. Carl Durrell is what I meant to say. I'm not going to rip these guys. I've been doing that all season for what I think is warranted. You know, things here or there. But I, I, look, it's not a great look that you have five defenders on the goal line. You pretty much give them anything underneath. There was enough time for that to happen. But really, I think the percentages of everything going how it went were so slim. Well, and my, my issue with it actually starts before that. It was on the, the punt, which, which led to the long return. And in my mind, there, there's absolutely zero reason to give this guy a chance to return the ball. You kick that ball out of bounds, and they, they didn't. there was no attempt to do that. I mean, they kicked it right down the middle of the field, which allowed Oregon State to get that long return to even give them that chance. Because you kick this out of bounds, they probably just, just run this thing, you know, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're doing Hail Marys at that point, right? Yeah. Um, so... I think um, you know that's where the issue started. Now I'll be honest: when when Oregon State ran that little quick outplay, I was like, "Oh, you know, I had no idea. I didn't even see it coming." But I'm also not getting paid to be a, a, a head coach <laughs> right. at a major program, so you know I'm, I shouldn't be expected sitting on the couch. But that caught me off guard. I didn't see that one coming there. So uh, you know, it was a good move. And what was it, a sixty yard kick or it something? It was so hit. long. I mean, what's the record? What did? Uh Mason hit that one time. It's long. I want to say it's even longer than the uh, NFL. NFL. I think it's like, yeah, 64, 65. I'll look that up real quick. But yeah, because I think that was Mason Crosby, and I remember that. I was uh, obviously there that game. But uh, yeah, so CU 37-34. There were a couple maybe questionable things throughout the game, but that's okay. You're going to get that any football game. Uh, what, what is it, Jared? Wow. Well, the longest, I don't know. I'll get to where Mason was, but the longest is now uh, a 69-yard kick from East Texas State. 69? 69. Wow. Okay. Um, that's like the, the like the world record? Looks like it, yeah. Okay. So I do know, I have right here, I pulled this up, Crosby hit a... Uh, 60-yarder against Iowa State back in the day. Yeah, home. Mason had a rough day this weekend for anyone out there yeah, who's he NFL did. fans. He's kind of had a rough season. I, I think think it. Uh, he, I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. How long has he been in for? When did he get drafted? Man, I mean, I'm thinking 10, 12 years at least. Let's see, Mason Crosby draft. Yeah, 2007 he was drafted. Wow, <laughs> man. God, that doesn't seem like that was that long ago. He was in, in Boulder, yeah, playing for the Buffs. You, you get it in the, in, you get it on your half the field. You're in scoring position. Yeah, um, and and honestly, Buffs have had some good kickers come through, but nobody no, like the best. Mason. No, nobody no, like Mason for sure the best. Um, but yeah, I mean, any other uh, thoughts to, for the Oregon State game before we move on? Here? No, I, I really think I'm glad you brought that up because I think that was really my one kind of critique of the coaching staff, and it's similar again for those who follow the NFL, follow the Broncos to the the previous weekend where the Broncos had a similar situation at the end of the game against Washington football team, and it's just a, a you know an approach and how you how you approach to minimize the odds of them having a chance to beat you. Uh, but honestly. 
as a fan and, and wanting to see a team rally and win and play, I actually think that it was almost a good thing for them to go into overtime and have to go win a game. It's not something they've really had to deal with this year. In the previous wins, they, they were big wins. So to have to go fight and scratch and go win a game, I think that could be really good and give this team some confidence. Going into a, a pretty tough matchup, but one that they can win this week against UCLA. Yeah, we will uh, get there in just a moment. Uh, let's get to this day in Buffs history. This day in CU football history. I've got one good, one bad. Where you want me to start? You want the good news or the bad news? Uh, let's get the bad out of the <laughs> way, okay? Because I want to transition with a positive energy, okay? All right, the bad. Uh, November 9th, this date, 2010, uh, Dan Hawkins is dismissed as the head coach with longtime assistant Brian Cabral uh, taking over as interim head coach to finish out the 2010 season. So 2010. So then after that was Embry. Uh-huh. John Embry was in December. They named him the coach. And then and then you had uh, McIntyre. McIntyre. Then Mel Tucker. Then Carl Durrell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the good one. Uh, going back to uh, 1971, November 13, 1971, Charlie Davis sets a Colorado and Big Eight record by rushing for 342 yards. In a forty to six route of Oklahoma State in Boulder, the good old days. I know, right? God, look at that! Three hundred forty-two yards in one game. That's that's Broussard. That's twenty twenty Broussard esque. Uh, that's right. There. I think beyond obviously anything that Broussard yeah. did. <laughs> All right, before we get to UCLA, special thanks to Woos Media. This is, of course, a Woos Media podcast. To check out other Woos Media podcasts, it's very simple. Either go online, woosmedia.com, W-O-O-Z-E media.com, or go to your favorite podcast player and simply type in Woos Media in the search bar. It'll pull up all of our podcasts, give you access to everything that we published. That's W-O-O-Z-E Media. Special thanks to them for making this possible. Go check out Woos Media for more podcasts like this. All right, UCLA coming up this weekend. The Buffaloes heading to sunny San Diego. Well, sunny Los Angeles. Still yeah. sunny there. Yeah, real sunny. sunny down there. Ah, California. Was that Dumb and Dumber? The Sunshine State. <laughs> All right. Um, UCLA five and four on the season. Now the Bruins got off to a very good start, and they were a kind of a sexy pick to win the Pac-12, win the Pac-12 South, have a bounce back year. A lot of dark horse picks, and they started off very well. Two and zero against uh, wins against Hawaii and LSU. Uh, looking back, that LSU win, not as... Everyone thought that was huge at the time, and, and I think LSU was ranked like 16. They were they were top 20 yeah. at the time. So everyone, I think that's when everyone really got on the UCLA bandwagon, and I don't know what LSU's record is right now, but they're not good. Ed Orgeron's out. So. Exactly. Uh, UCLA followed up that to LSU win with a loss at home against Fresno State. Now, on the opposite side of things, Fresno State actually looks pretty good this year, so that's maybe not the bad loss that a lot of us thought it was. But uh, nevertheless, they were uh, 2-1 and one at that point. They ended up September with a win against Stanford to start the season 3-1. and one. They would win two of their next three games against Arizona and Washington, losing against Arizona State to bring uh, uh, UCLA after October 16th to a 5-3, and three, excuse me, 5-2 and two record. So UCLA a couple weeks ago, 5-2, and two, Top 25 team, a lot of people talking about them. 
Then on the 23rd, they lost to Oregon 34-31. Very, very close game. Just couldn't get anything going on the ground. Their highest rudder, uh, leading rusher, I should say, had 45 yards. Not a good rushing attack for UCLA. Maybe a bit of a blueprint there. That's how you're going to uh, take the, the uh, Bruins down. And then uh, last week, on the third, actually two weeks ago, they had a bye last week, didn't they? Um, am I doing that right, Jared? Thirtieth. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it was a six. So two weeks ago, uh, UCLA went to Utah and lost forty-four twenty-four. I guess Utah has turned it on real quick this year. Yeah. All of a sudden, Utah's a good team. Yeah. I didn't think that right, was the right case. as the Buffs are getting ready to play in there. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh, scheduling at its finest. I mean, we always get Utah at the end of the year, but still. Uh, so doesn't it feel like that though? The Buffs always end up playing Utah when they're coming on strong. Hundred percent. That's how it that's always how goes. Utah's well, a late riser. So Kyle ever. Whittingham teams are. They're going to get better throughout the season, kind of like we'd like to see here happen in, in Boulder. But uh, which is why the Buffs need to play USC in like an, a week one or week two. They <laughs> always that. blow it early in the season. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so that brings UCLA to five and four, and you can really approach this a couple different ways. Their losses. Mostly, for the most part, close losses against good teams. Their wins, for the most part, kind of blowout-ish wins against bad teams. So it's like whichever side you want to take here, you can make it sound right. I could easily sit here and say, UCLA is not a very good team. Their only wins have come against bad teams. Every time they play someone with you know worth a, worth a damn, they, they don't show up. Or I could say... Man, UCLA is really underrated. I mean, their losses, three-point loss to Fresno, three-point loss to Oregon, who right now is a top-four team in the college football playoff. Yeah, losses at Utah, for, uh, uh, Arizona State. Those are good Pac-12 teams, so you can really spin this any way that you want to. To me, what I want to focus on is what UCLA does well and how the Buffs can stop it. Now, I mentioned running the football. UCLA wants to run the ball. This is very clear in their stats this season. Uh, let's pull it up real quick here. Uh, I had their uh, schedule pulled up, obviously. All right, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. You know, I just need tabs. I need. I got, I got to learn about tabs on here. Get multiple tabs pulled up. I'm more of a just Are you, are you a fly. Chrome guy or are you an Edge guy? Uh, well, I live on the Edge, but I'm a Chrome guy. You're a Chrome guy. Chrome okay. guy who lives on the Edge. Why? What are you? Chrome, of course. I would imagine you'd be like a Safari kind of guy. You, you you strike me as a is that even a thing on like I, actual I, laptops? I believe it is a thing. I didn't know that. Or, I thought or it was like just Firefox. She seemed like a Firefox wow. kind of guy to me. I'm not that technologically advanced. <laughs> I just this is Chrome is what comes up when my computer starts. So that's what I've dealt with my whole life. All right. Um, I was mentioning uh, UCLA likes to run the football on the year. 389 rush attempts, almost 400 rush attempts for just shy of uh, 2,000. Well, just shy of 1,800 yards. In the air, they've only thrown it 100 and... F- well, uh, let's see here. Uh, 260 attempts, 154 completions. So definitely skewed there. Almost 400 rush attempts, 260 pass attempts. You know, this is a team who wants to establish the run, and they have done so. They're a good team on the ground. A lot of people don't realize that with Chip Kelly. And that's what I was going to say. I feel like Chip Kelly, that's what his offense is built off of, is is utilizing that speed and space. They're, they're typically the quarterbacks, which uh, is very involved with the offensive and, and running the ball with the RPOs, things like that. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson absolutely is very involved. He's their second leading rusher in terms of attempts this year. It's kind of funny. UCLA and Chip Kelly, the, this system they run is the same thing that Chip Kelly ran a decade ago at Oregon. And you just wonder, is he 5-4 and four 
because everyone in the country is running this now? I think so. I do, and especially the Pac-12. That's why when he came back, I was surprised he came back to the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 really built in his image for for a decade after he left, and now you come back to a, a, a conference that understands, at least to a certain extent, what your offense is about. So I'm surprised he didn't go elsewhere, try to take his offense to the SEC, but I, I don't know if he wanted to deal with that. Uh, yeah, pressure. right. I highly doubt that, but you see even in the He wouldn't the have gotten the leash he's that not, he's got in the Pac-12, that's for close. sure. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the air. Let's see here. 60% completion, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. So definitely a pretty good stat line uh, throwing the football, 145.4 quarterback rating. But again, the 60% completion, not a great completion percentage in college football. Especially in a Chip Kelly offense. I think that's kind of built on a lot of things at the line of scrimmage. No, exactly. So could that be a cause for concern? You know, when he does get pressured, he's not very good at all. I think last year we pointed that out. Dorian Thompson-Robertson, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is top 25 efficiency when he's not pressured. When he is pressured, pressured, he falls to a bottom 25 quarterback. It's the biggest swing of any quarterback in the Pac-12 when he's pressured, when he's not pressured. So far this year, he's been sacked 18 times. So it's able, you know, we can get to him. He's he's getting sacked twice a game, and Colorado's pass rush has gotten better and better. Some injuries on UCLA's offensive line could lead to Carson Wells and others getting back in the backfield this game. I think that's going to be important. Whenever UCLA does drop back, you've got to get to their quarterback and create some pressure. On the ground, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, as I said earlier, their third leading rusher. He's got 97 attempts for 364 yards, six touchdowns on the year. He is just as effective on the ground as he is through the air, if not more effective, because you don't ever know who the ball's going to go to. Is it going to go to Zach Charbonnet, one of their running backs, Britton Brown, their other running back, Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Often, those three guys are on the field at the same time. They're running these quirky, tricky, who's getting the football runs. It's tough to stop. So, so, yes, pressuring the quarterback, important, but just as important, getting behind the line of scrimmage, forcing tackles for loss, something we haven't seen a lot of lately, and making this offense uncomfortable. Uh, running the football, like I said, DTR, their uh, quarterback, their third leading rusher, their leading rusher, Zach Charbonnet, he's number 24. And again, we give the numbers out just so you guys can follow along watching. You may know who to look for on their team if that ma- if this matters to you at all. But their leading rusher, Zach Charbonnet, is number 24. And then uh, Britton Brown, their second leading rusher, is number 28. Besides that, no one really is going to get the football on a consistent basis. That's the three-headed monster on offense, at least for the rushing attack. So they want to run the football. It's those three guys who are going to do and it. And their style of running and Chip Kelly's offense is what scares me for the buffs. It's a, it's a, it's similar as, as what you're getting going against Oregon State. Knowing what they want to do is run against you. It's a very different way they go about it. It's not stuff in the middle. It's not you know keeping the guys there. You got guys going every which way. I think it's so important for the outside linebackers, the off ball linebackers, to stay in position and not get fooled by the trickery you mentioned that they would see. So that's important because you never really know who's going to be the one coming away with the ball. You got to stay in position to make that play and not allow those big plays. Well, and I hate to harp on this, but losing or not having Nate Landman is going to be even more magnified yeah. this game than it was last game. Because he's the type of guy that can spy a Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And, and for those of you out there that aren't familiar with that term, typically what a spy is is it's a linebacker that he shadows what the quarterback does. And so he's always got his eyes on the quarterback, and that helps to prevent a running quarterback like Dorian Thompson-Robinson from sneaking out when no one's seen him. 
the defensive line for the Buffs is going to be big this game. Uh, UCLA's offensive line is not grading out very well. As a matter of fact, according to PFF College, which is Pro Football Focus College, their pass blocking is actually uh, mid-level in the Pac-12. Their run blocking is eighth in the Pac-12 on, on PFF College. So we have some opportunities here. This defensive line, I think, to, to help out the linebackers and cause some havoc up front. And that, to me, is so important. We always say, well, you know, the defensive line, this isn't talked about often, but the D-line, one of their main goals is not necessarily to be, to be making tackles, but it's to eat up offensive linemen so your linebackers can work free. So this is going to be a big line for our, for our D, or a big game for our defensive line to do something they haven't had to do in a couple weeks and really allow these linebackers to work and do their job. Because you're right, Jared, if these linebackers start biting, it could be a long day on the road. Uh, through the air, a couple guys stick out here. Kyle Phillips is their leading receiver. He's got 39 catches. The next wide receiver on the team has uh, 15. So clearly they like throwing the ball to Kyle Phillips. Kyle Phillips is number two on the outside, their favorite target. He also leads the team with six touchdown catches. Their second favorite target is their tight end, uh, Greg DeLuch. He's number 85. He's got four touchdown catches, and that's who you want to look for on third down. They love their tight end on third down. They go to tight end on third down more than any other team in the Pac-12. And that's one thing that I like about this game, Jared, is UCLA doesn't deviate from what they like to do. Chip Kelly puts it all out there. He's not going to fool you with anything. And I think CU has the players in the defensive scheme to stop what UCLA does well. Again, on the outside, kind of like last week, what are you going to do? You're going to go man-to-man? You're going to go more zone? That's the question mark here. I think you may see the Buffs go more of the philosophy and how they approach the Oregon offense, you know, because I think you have so many different playmakers that you're not really sure who's going to get the ball and, and when and where. You know, one thing to point out, too, is they do like to lean heavily on that the number one receiver in Phillips and in, in the, in the tight end, but their running backs get very involved as well. No, that's there right. There are three different running backs with 13 uh, – receptions or more on the year so they like to use those guys out of the backfield and and so i think you may see more of an approach of kind of a zone defense where everyone's kind of keeping their eyes on the quarterback on the backfield so that you you know everyone can kind of rally to the ball and make those tackles how do you think cu has fared this year against teams on the outside who have a lot of speed is that something that CU has dealt well with is that something that you know, you know I, I, I would say as you look at it, statistically speaking, no, they haven't. You know, you look back at that, that USC game, and it's tough because in watching that game, you felt like the Buffs were in good coverage, the, the, the defensive backs were doing a pretty good job, but they were giving up a lot of big plays to big-time receivers. And um, I, don't, I don't know that you quite have that level of talent and speed here, uh, but it is certainly going to be a threat because there's so many different guys that can – break it on the outside all right before we get out of here jared let's do our offensive key to the game our defensive key to the game and then give a score prediction uh just to recap you know i think that it is really important before i get my keys uh, i think it's really important offensively to establish fontenot and lewis and some of these other guys again i understand the importance of getting jared broussard going and i think that was important last game 24 carries the next the next highest guy i think he had seven eight maybe nine that, to me, is good in spurts, but 
A, we don't want to burn Broussard out in a couple games, and B, we want to see guys like Fontenot and and, and Deion Smith and, and others getting their touches, getting their opportunities. I want to see, you know, whoever it is, maybe maybe even Brendan Rice, you know, gets a couple carries on the ground. So I think that's important, and I don't want to lose sight of of that. We've, we've mentioned it, and I do think it's really important that we spread the ball out, the buffs, get a lot of guys going on the ground, and uh, I think that's important. This offensive line, I want to see them keep taking steps. I think it's important for them to keep building on what they've been doing. They were vocal. A lot of these linemen were vocal when their offensive line coach was fired, saying, we've learned more in the last couple of weeks than we have in the last year under our previous coach. That's a good thing. I want to see the improvement against a better defense on the road. Defensively, you know, I, I agree with Jared. We're probably going to see more coverage than we saw against Oregon. A lot of playmakers on this team, a lot of speed, and there's going to be a ton going on behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of people, a lot of guys catching it, running backs, tight ends, a lot of screen passes, a lot of RPOs, which is run pass options. You got to be on your toes. You've got to know what you're doing. And it's important for everyone on this team to, on this defense, to kind of be ready for that. Defensive line, it's going to be so important for them to help the linebackers out. Linebackers have to have a big game side to side, but also staying home, not biting for anything and giving up a big play. And then again, as I said to begin uh, the defense here, on the back end, I do expect more of what we saw against Oregon. My offensive key to the game, I think we have to keep Brendan Lewis going. Okay, Brendan Lewis, I think that we saw early in the season, well, we've known he's been talented, but he seems a little fragile to me. You know, does he seem like that to you? I, I don't want to... Yeah, obviously we don't want to paint a picture of something we don't We don't know Brendan Lewis personally. Total uh, guess. I've never interviewed but, him. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that assessment and, and, and the vibe that you pick up from him on the field. So what we got to do, what the, what the offense has to do in these coaches, keep him going. Keep giving him what makes him confident, what what kind of sparks that? You know, this coaching staff knows him at this point very well, right? Uh, doesn't matter whether they're planning this, to start the season with him or not. They know him very well at this at this point in the year. Know what makes him tick. Knows what makes him kind of, you know, get going, build that confidence. I want to see Brendan Lewis keep going what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Keep building on that. Similar to what I've talked about with other players, other position groups, this is the idea of a college football team through the season. This is our 10th game. This is game number 10. It's time to see the improvement against a very good team on the road. So I want to see Brennan Lewis keep it going offensively. Uh, Jared, what is your offensive key to the game? Uh, my offensive key is to control the pace of the game. Uh, Chip Kelly likes to move quickly. They like to be on the field a lot. That's something that the Buffs have struggled with throughout the course of the year is the uh, time of possession. The defense has been on the field a ton. That is not a good position to find yourself in in this game. So I don't want to say slow down the game because you do want to play it at your pace. And so control the pace. Play at the pace you want to play at. Don't allow yourself to get in a position where your defense is getting, I mean, 80, 90 plays out there. That's not going to be healthy. All right, a defensive key to the game. And this is what I mentioned earlier. I think this D-line has to do a big job eating up those offensive linemen, allowing the linebackers to work. I'm talking about Jalen Sammy, Mustafa Johnson, Terrence Lang. We know how athletic these guys can be and how good they can be stopping the run but they need to help these linebackers out. This is going to be a very, maybe the most important game up to this point in the season, purely on the linebackers, in my opinion. No Nate Landman. That makes the magnifying glass even stronger on that position group. So I'm actually not going to say, hey, linebackers, it's up to you. I'm going to look to the big guys up front to help out the second level and do their job. 
What do you have for your defensive key to the game? Ultimately, this offense runs through Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I think if you can shut him down as a runner, you put yourself in a really good position. Make him beat you as a passer. These running backs are good, and frankly, they're going to get theirs. I think we're going to look back at this game, and there's probably going to be upwards of 200 rushing yards yeah. from UCLA. And and in my mind, that's okay if Dorian Thompson-Robinson isn't the leading factor in that. If he isn't the one tearing you up on the edges, I think that's a big factor. So the edge guys, you know, the Terrence Langs, the the Carson Wells, those guys. It's huge for you because that that's the position that's getting read on the 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 RPO. You know, they're seen as that guy gonna gonna go after the the running back, or is he gonna stay home where he's supposed to and keep that quarterback from making a big play? Good stuff today, man. Before we get out of here, let's get a score prediction. I'm gonna give a Buffalo's win. Now let's let everyone know. Let's let everyone know the spread is I think 16 points. 16 and a half. Yeah. Actually, so. while we were on the show, I had to go get in on that action. <laughs> so, uh, having given that information, I think CU gets the upset. I'm gonna go 28-27, and I think it's 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 what you mentioned. We control the clock. CU dictates the pace of this game. Hopefully a little uh, magic on the ground. A lot of guys involved. Brennan Lewis, couple touchdown passes. 28-27, Buffs get the upset win on the road. I'm riding the wave with you, Tyler. I think the Buffs build off the momentum from last Let's week. Go. I really think this is an offense that gained some confidence. Um, I like the Buffs win in 24-21. I love that, man. There we go. Uh, you know, we may not have many opportunities to play that anytime, you know, throughout the season again. So, hey, hey, I'm calling for the win this week. Hey, I'm bus, thinking we're going to get to still be bowl eligible, buddy. Exactly. I'm thinking we're going to get the win. Wait, we have three games left, three and six on the year. Do the math. That means we can still make a bowl game if you win out. UCLA this week, Washington at home the week after finish things up on the road at Utah. But you got to take care of business this week. Let's go Buffs, beat UCLA. We'll talk to everyone next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.